Father, you have been very merciful to us. We have so much to be thankful for. Remind us of that, God, now as we open up your word and teach us things from your word as well. May we see you rightly the way that you want us to. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're continuing on in a series, and it's really kind of two series that are converging into one. Um, Every year around Thanksgiving, I like to do a series from the book of Psalms. I think that the Psalms are so wonderful. Again, the phrase that I like to say is that wherever we are coming from, the Psalms remind us to go to God. And oftentimes when I do these Psalm series, I I highlight the word thanks. Although uh, George came up to me yesterday and said, Eric, that, that psalm we looked at yesterday, that wasn't really a psalm of thanks. And you could say a very similar thing about our psalm today. The word thanks doesn't show up in it again. Uh, but my response to that is I think that the whole book of Psalms in general was written as a, a book of thanks to God. So even though the word doesn't show up here today, and George is right to point that out, I think that the, the psalm itself is a way for us to express our thanks to God. Um, so that's one of the reasons we're doing this, uh, this series is because we want to just remind ourselves to, to take our focus off of ourselves. You ever notice how easy it is to focus on yourself in this life or to focus on your troubles. But both of those are really the wrong way to go through life. The way that we should go through life is with our focus on God. So that's what the Psalms help us do. And then second, I've been doing this God With Us series, where uh, my goal was to find all of the God With Us passages in the Bible and then preach through some of them. So Psalm 91 is another one of these where we're going to see that God is with us. And today, specifically, we're going to look at a psalm, as it says up here, that highlights the fact that God is with us in trouble. Has anyone in here ever suffered? Anyone right now going through a difficult time in life? Does anyone here expect to go through any difficult times in life? If you've answered yes to any of those questions, then you know your need for help. It's kind of macho to say, no, I'm good, I don't need any help, you know, uh, I was trying to carry up part of that, the big part of that tree yesterday and from the downstairs, and I was like, oh, I, don't, I don't need any help. But uh, actually, you know what, when I got to the stairway, yeah, I could really use some help. So uh, Mary Beth came and helped me out. Um, so thank you, Mary Beth, for using your God-given gift of muscles to help me out with that. I appreciate it. Um, the truth is we all need help sometimes. We all go through, through things which, if we're honest, make us realize that we were not created to go through this life alone. And and the one, uh, the the nail in the coffin, excuse my pun here, argument for that is funerals. Um, We we all know that we need help because none of us can evade that, aside from God's help. Psalm 91 is a psalm that will hopefully help us all realize just how good God's help is. So what we're going to do today, we're going to read through Psalm 91, and then I want to look at it from four different angles. Okay? So Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. He will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked." 
If you make the Most High your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. I will call up, he will call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Okay, so again, we're going to look at it from first angles. The first one here is that this psalm was true for Jesus, but is it true for us too? Okay, even Satan knew that this psalm was for Jesus. Remember when Jesus was being tempted in the desert, those three temptations uh, that the devil was lodging against Jesus? And in one of them, the devil actually quoted scripture. The scripture we just read from verses 11 and 12 of Psalm 91, he quoted that knowing that it was a promise for Jesus that God would protect him. So Satan had asked Jesus to go up on the highest point of the temple and throw himself down. And then he quoted these verses to say, don't worry about it, the angels will catch you. We won't even strike your foot against a stone. How did Jesus reply? Well, he replied with scripture. In Deuteronomy 6, he said, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So yes, God promised protection, but his promises aren't to be used by us, not even by Jesus, as a game. We are not to test God like that. Now, one theologian suggested that Psalm 91 is like an insurance policy. But even the best insurance policy we could buy, for example, for a car, uh, doesn't protect us in the case of willful misuse. So, for example, I can't go out and get an insurance policy and then go buy a new car and uh, enter it into the demolition derby and then go to the insurance company and say, sorry, my car was wrecked, give me a new one. But that would be willful misuse. And, and that's what Satan was asking Jesus to do, but, but Jesus figured it out and said, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. The devil wanted Jesus to abuse God's promise, but Jesus didn't take the bait, thankfully. Uh, but there's even more here in Psalm 91 in regard to Jesus. And, and I really struggled theologically. This has been one of the, the theologically most challenging verses that I've come across recently in my preaching. Um, can we say rightly that God protected Jesus from harm? Let's look at verses 9 and 10 again. If you make the Most High your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge... So let's stop there. Did Jesus do that? I would say he did that perfectly. Okay, so we've got verse 9 covered. Verse 10. Then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent. So let's think about the cross. Did God protect Jesus from the harm of the cross. The cross was certainly painful. We talked about that at communion, how Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, right before he was crucified, was praying and asking God if there could be any other way because I think as a human being, he knew that getting nails pounded through his hands and feet would be painful. And then being left up there to die would be no fun. And when Jesus was on the cross, he shouted, these words from, he was quoting Psalm 22, 1, did you know that? He was quoting the Old Testament when he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The cross was a forsaken place. The Bible even says it this way. In Deuteronomy 21, 23, it's also quoted in Galatians 3, it says, Anyone who is hung on a tree is under God's curse. And it's quoted specifically in the New Testament about Jesus and the crucifixion. Those are strong words. Forsaken and cursed. Cursed. 
So back to my question. Did God protect Jesus from the harm of the cross? Um, I'd love to have a little theological discussion with each of you on this. What would you say? Did God protect Jesus from the harm of the cross? Well, here it's interesting. If you read on in Psalm 22, that's the one that started off with, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Towards the end of it, in verse 24, it says, For he, he, God, has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. God did answer Jesus' cry for help. Psalm 91.14 talks about how God will rescue, and Jesus was rescued. Yes, he died, but he rose again from the dead. So that's one answer, is that God did rescue Jesus. But there's another answer. Um, Did God protect Jesus from the harm of the cross? That's the question that we're looking at. Well, let's look at the word harm. Was the cross harm? Again, I'd love to have a little theological discussion with each of you. Was the cross harm? Well, what would we say? For us, the cross means glory. Think about that. If there's no cross, if Jesus didn't die for us, it means that we would be eternally separated from God because every one of us has sinned and has earned that death penalty. But because of the cross, it means that any of us who receive Jesus as Savior and Lord can have complete forgiveness of sins and we get to be with God forever. And that's the whole point of this God with us series that I've been talking to you about is that the best possible blessing that we can have is to be with God and through the gospel we get to be with God Forever, if we put our faith in Christ because of what he did on the cross. So would we say that the cross was harm? Well, for us, it was glory. But what about for Jesus? Well, even for Jesus, there was joy in it. Look at this amazing verse from Hebrews 12:2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus was able to look past the cross and see that there was joy for him in it. So even though it was obviously a very painful thing to him, I think that the right way to look at the cross would be to recognize that it means glory for us and joy for Jesus. And in that sense, and we'll talk a little bit about, about this more later, in that sense, the cross was not harm. And I think that one of the things that we need to understand from Psalm 91 is that we need an eternal perspective on the word harm. In a very limited human way of thinking about things, the cross was harm. But Jesus was able to look past it towards joy and and we should be able to look at it and see glory. And like it says in verse 15, the Lord will be with us in trouble. And, And think about that. Jesus was able to cry out to God and God did rescue him. So even, he, even though he was forsaken and cursed, he knew that he could call out to God and receive rescue. Um, so this psalm was true for Jesus. I, I believe that. The question then, is it true for us too? Well, one of the ways I think that we should understand the Bible is that Jesus is our example. He, he's not just our example as if to say that we can save ourselves by doing what he did. No, that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that Jesus sets us a perfect example and in Philippians 2.5 we're commanded to have the same mindset or the same attitude or literally the same thoughts as he had. So as we go through our difficulties, as as Jesus went through his difficulties, we can look to Jesus and learn from his example of how he went through them. As such, we can expect God to be with us in our trouble if we seek him by faith. 
and Jesus, again, stands as the model for that. Okay, our second angle here. There are a lot of bad things mentioned in this psalm, yet it is amazingly positive. Most of this psalm talks about harm, but none of it reaches the one who loved God. In fact, um, every year in this psalm series that I do, I try to pick a psalm that has some negative tones in it. I try to pick a psalm that might be uh, that might speak to somebody who is in depression or just in a downtime or in a valley. And I picked Psalm 91 in part because I thought it might be that. I, I saw all these awful things in here, but it's funny. The more I read Psalm 91, the more I realized that it is not a negative psalm. It is an amazingly positive psalm in spite of all the terrible things that are going on. Some of the psalms aren't like that. Some of the psalms are more like, woe is me. But this psalm isn't one of those. It's amazing, actually, the way to... Um, look at all the harm that we see in this psalm. I'm just going to read a list. The fowler's snare, deadly pestilence, the terror of night, the arrow that flies by day, the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, the plague that destroys at midday. Deep breath. A thousand and even ten thousand falling around you. Harm, disaster, the lion, the cobra, the great lion, and the serpent. Is there anything in there that might scare you? Anyone scared of snakes? Um, okay, all right. Anyone scared of the dark? Um, I, I have a little bit of that one, that, that fear of the dark, and more so as a kid, I think. But let me tell you a little, little story about that. Um, I was also, and still am, a big basketball fan. So when I was a kid, I bought a poster called The Dream Team. Let me show you this poster here. Uh, can you see that poster up? All right. Five of the best NBA players from the 1980s, and they're set in there like they're each in a little cloud. Um, and it's a really cool poster. I put it right on my closet door so it's staring me at my face when I'm in bed. Really cool poster, except that when you turn off the lights in your room and in the kind of the dim of the night, you just kind of see the silhouette, and it looks like a skull. So I, here I have this, I'm like, you know, sixth grade, and I've got this skull hanging in midair looking me at the face. I'm like, what is that? So I, you know, kind of creep out of bed and turn on my light and look at it. I think it was just my poster, but okay. So I turned back at the light, and it was a really cool poster, so I didn't want to take it down, but for like a few nights, it really weirded me out that there was a skull on my door, but um, all right, a little window into my life, like it or not. Um, this psalm talks about other worse things than that. Uh, this psalm talks about war. Uh, I know that some of you have actually gone through that, and uh, I can't imagine the horror of war, but um, I imagine it's really troubling. So one way, the wrong way to look at Psalm 91, would be to look at this list of all these bad things that were going on there, and then to think about your life and all the bad things that are going on in your life, and then go to despair. That would be the wrong way to look at Psalm 91. But that's not at all the point here. Because even though these terrible things are happening, none of it reaches the one who loves God. Now again, following the, the example of Jesus, it's not that we're promised to be lifted out of every difficulty. Jesus had to go through the cross. Uh, we're told in the New Testament to expect suffering. So it's not that we're saved from every difficulty, it's that we are safe in every difficulty if we have faith and if we go through it with God. Just like Jesus relied on God's strength, so should we. Again, think about the Garden of Gethsemane. What was Jesus really doing there? I, I kind of don't think that he was having a theological argument with God about whether he needed to go through with the cross. I think that was more his humanity crying out and just acknowledging that it was going to be painful. And in that, not aside from that, 
But in that pain and difficulty that he was experiencing, he went to God for strength. You see, I don't think that we should come up with this idea in our life that we should set aside our difficulties and then go to God. I think that what we learn from Psalm 91, look at verse 15, I will be with him in trouble, is that when we go through difficulties, we should take them to God and find his strength there. So, application here, if you're going through something difficult, pray. Now think about that. How often do we do the exact opposite of that? How often do we go through difficult times and we either look at the trouble all around us and, and get into despair, or when we go through difficult times, we look to ourselves and try to come up with our own idea of how to get out of it. Both of those are the wrong way. The right way is to look up to God and say, God, I need your strength. I want to trust that you will be with me in this. See, Scripture takes the long view of trouble. And if we take the long view of it, we recognize the blessing of God with us. We recognize that God might even be using those troubled things to be helping us in our faith. You see, we're not supposed to test God, but sometimes God allows difficult things to come to us as a test of our faith. And in those times, who will we trust? God or ourselves? And in that light, we should be thankful for these difficulties because these difficulties show us who we're trusting in. So think about that. The last few difficulties that you have, what have they taught you about you? Now, if you've failed that test, that's okay. We can go to God, we can ask for forgiveness, we can ask him to strengthen us. But we need a new view of these difficulties, like it says in James 1, 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Again, in that light, even our troubles are good because they're a way for us, to, for our, our faith to be strengthened if we trust God in the midst of them. Um, Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Uh, the famous preacher Charles Spurgeon said, as he was uh, meditating on these verses, Everything is overruled for good. So think about that. If your heart's desire is by faith to walk with God in all that you do, and the difficult things come our way, we know that all things work together for good. And what that means then is we just need a different perspective on what the word good means and what the word trouble means. And we'll talk about that a little bit more at the end. When we face difficulties, we can know that God is with us. And one more quick thing on, on this point. Um, as I was studying this psalm, one of the things that I realized is that I oftentimes forget about angels. I think maybe some people think too much about angels. I'm probably on the other end of that spectrum where I forget about angels too often. Because what does it say in this psalm? Uh, it says that God sends his help by sending angels. And, and notice, um, they, they got the, the grammar of it right here, that it's multiple angels for the singular you. Isn't that cool? That, have you ever gone through a difficult time and didn't know how you got through it? Well, it could be that God sent angels to help. I think that's amazing. And I, like I said, I often forget about that, but God may very well be sending angels to help you through your next difficult time. Okay. Um, angle number three. God is near and he protects his people. 
According to verse 1, we are to dwell in the shelter of the Most High. He is the Most High. That means that no one is higher or more powerful than him. And it also says that we get to rest in the shadow of the Almighty. And I was thinking about that word rest. Anybody want rest? Uh, I, I just overheard someone say, uh, you know, being thankful for these days of rest over Thanksgiving. Um, who doesn't like rest when we get it? Do you see here that we are invited to rest in the shadow of the Almighty God? I think that's pretty cool. We're invited to dwell with him and to take refuge in his fortress. Think about the word refuge. We have a refugee crisis in our world today, right? There are thousands and thousands and thousands of people in the Middle East who are being forced to flee from their homes because it's not safe for them to live in their home. So they have become refugees. And the deal is, they wouldn't be a refugee, for example, if they had to leave their home in Syria, but let's say they have a summer home in Germany and they can just go there. Then, then they're not really a refugee. They're a refugee when they have nowhere to go, when they have no, no place to go, no one to take care of them. And by the way, I think that we should take the compassionate route on this. And Don't, don't hear me wrong. I, I think that as Christians, our heart's desire should be to pray for them, of course, and, and to help. I, I'm not suggesting politically that means one thing or another, but what I am suggesting is that we should think about how we can care for the alien and for the refuge, like the Bible tells us that we should. But the thing about refugees is that they need help. And, and the thing about us, spiritually speaking, is that we need help. This world that we were born into is not the place that we are to take as our home. We are to dwell with God and trust him to give us refuge. And according to Ephesians 2.19, before coming to God, we were foreigners and aliens, but now that we know God, we know him as our refuge. Like it says in verse 2, we are to trust in him. He's our refuge. And in light of what's coming in the rest of this psalm, all those awful things that I read about, I want God as my refuge and as my fortress. And then let's move ahead to verses 14 and 16. I want to reread them. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. And I love this. Look at verse 15 again. God is so near to us that he says that he is with us in trouble. Does it feel like that to you? I think sometimes we get this picture that in trouble, God is far away. Or that, you know, he won't hear our prayers or something like that. But the truth is that God desires to be with us so much that he even desires to be with us in trouble. And troubled times will come. Jesus reminded us of that in John 16:33. He said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. We can have peace. Again, anybody going through a difficult time right now, did you know that God offers you peace in that? He's overcome the world. We can trust in him. You see, the gospel message isn't a message of no trouble. I, I hope you know that. Eventually it will be when we get to be in eternity face to face with God. The, the gospel isn't a message of no trouble though right now. The gospel is a message of God with us in trouble. And it's a relationship with God. Sometimes that phrase, relationship with God, gets misused, but it's a good, good phrase. In this relationship with God, he protects us, like it says in verse 14. And in this relationship, God answers us. And again, I understand that sometimes we feel like God doesn't answer us, 
But here's what I'd just like to say on that one. If you take the long view of it, and if continually, by faith, you seek God and you come to Him with your difficulties, you will know God as the God who answers. Okay? That's who He is. And maybe it doesn't seem like it that one time when we cried out to Him and we really hoped for Him to act in a certain way, but He didn't. But let me say it again. If by faith we constantly seek Him, we will come to know Him as the God who answers us and who is with us in trouble. Psalm 9.10 says, Those who know your name will trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. God will not leave us or forsake us. Back to Psalm 91 and says in verses 15 to 16 that God will deliver and honor us and give us long life and salvation. And again, we need the long view of things because we do face trouble, but look at all those good things that God says he will do for us. God is bigger than our trouble and he's with us in our trouble. And then just a little preview of next Sunday's sermon. We'll walk through Psalm 23. Verse 4 there says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. God is near and we can call to him. He does protect his people. He is a refuge and we are invited to dwell with him. So let me ask you a question by way of application. Do you dwell with God or do you dwell in your fears? How many people in this world, if you had to put a percentage on it, uh, don't, you don't have to yell it out right here, but how many people do you think in this world dwell in fear instead of trusting God? How many Christians do you think, people who would say, I know Jesus, he's my Savior and Lord, I've given my life to him, yet how many of those people, when troubled times come, forget about God and dwell in fear instead? Do you rest in the shadow of the Almighty or do you worry about your own ability to take care of things? We're promised peace. We're promised to be with God because His heart's desire is to be with us. We will have trouble, but we also have God with us in trouble. Let's move on to our fourth and last angle then. We have an active role to play in this by faith. The truths in this psalm aren't to be claimed regardless of our response to God. Again, it's not that insurance policy that says you can do whatever you want to and God will just take care of it all. God is a shelter, a refuge, and a fortress, but we are to dwell with him. And and we have a choice about where we live. Think about that. This would be a fun conversation to have with you all. Where was the worst place you ever lived? Um... Now, I have a place that sticks out to me, and I don't like to call it the worst place I ever lived because I definitely saw a lot of God's blessings there. But the one year that I lived in Iowa City, uh, I, lived, I was working at the University of Iowa on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ, and uh, I chose to live across the street from the... So 30,000 people in the university, and I chose to live right across the street from it in a place called the Pedestrian Mall. So just a lot of activity there. And not only that, but I lived in a second story above one of the businesses, and the name of the business was the tobacco bowl. So, um, now fortunately they had good ventilation there, so there were only a few times where I got the smells coming up from the tobacco bowl, but there were certainly some interesting characters that hung out around there. Um, And not only that, it was just really loud. Um, I've mentioned this before, but when the University of Iowa would have a a football game and they would win, people would come to the pedestrian mall and hang out and celebrate until like 3 o'clock in the morning, and I just just couldn't sleep. You know, there was just no way um, that I was going to be able to fall asleep with all that commotion out there. So... Uh, I chose to live there. I now choose not to live there. Uh, And there's a reason for that. 
Now, spiritually, we can either dwell with God or we can try to figure out life on our own. Why would we live apart from him, though, if his desire is to be with us? And then let's look at verses 14 and 15 again. We've already seen some awesome things that God will do for us, but what's our part? Well, it starts out by saying, because he loves me. That, that, that means us. We're supposed to love the Lord. We have any DC Talk fans? I want to I see a show of hands here. Who's going to raise their hand and say that they were a fan of DC Talk? All right, good, good, thank you. Uh, love is a verb. That was their song about two decades ago, uh, spelled L-U-V. Did anybody have a DC Talk shirt that said love is a verb on it? I don't know. Um, I want you to wear it next Sunday if you have it. But, um, but you know what? They were right. Because the love that we're talking about here isn't the Hollywood style of love. It's the commitment sort of love. It's actually the word that's used for the commitment that God makes to us and the commitment that we are supposed to make to him. So this is more, as opposed to the Hollywood version of love, this is more like the kind of love that uh, a wife would show for her husband as he slips into, into dementia. This is the, the choice, the commitment, the I am with you sort of love. And again, it's the love that God has chosen for us and it's the response of love that we are to give in commitment to him. And then also in verse 14, it says that we are to acknowledge God's name, although a better translation for that would be, uh, for he knows my name. We are to get to know God more and more. One of the things I love about God is that he has revealed himself to us. And in fact, the name Lord should remind us of that. It was the name that was revealed to Moses in the burning bush. It's the, the personal name for God, because our God, the God who created all of this, and who created you, loves you so much that he wants you to know him. So he's revealed himself to us, and we are to get to know him. So to know his name is to know him, and we should increase in our knowledge of him. He, he might feel distant. Does he feel distant to any of you right now, like he's not answering you? Well, we can get to know him more, and I just want to urge you again to take the long view, and if you keep seeking him, you will know him. That's his promise for us. And in verse 15, again, we can call to God and he answers. That's the relationship again. He knows that we face trouble, but he wants to be with us and so close to us that he asks us to call out to him. Our act of prayer is an act of faith and every time we do that, he strengthens our faith. So I just want to urge you, if God feels distant, if your troubles seem too big, keep calling out to him and trust that he will get you through it and you will come out stronger on the end of it because that's what happens when we spend time in God's presence. He answers and we're strengthened. So application here, God has provided a refuge for us. Will we make our home there? Do we find our security in the Lord or anywhere else? For you, when bad things happen, do you trust in yourself or do you look to God, who is our refuge? That's one of my takeaways from Psalm 91. Um, those, those troubling things come, and I'm you know, kind of ashamed to have to admit to you that sometimes when those troubled things come to me, I lose my focus on God. And, and sometimes when things don't go my way, I, I get this, either this woe is me sort of attitude, or I look at the trouble and just you know, think how bad it is. I want to be reminded from this psalm that God wants to be with me in that trouble. And if he's with me, then he will give me the strength that I need. Because will anything come to any of us that God has not allowed? 
Will anything come to any of us of which God will say that he doesn't want to be with us? Now, sometimes we make really poor choices. We make choices to go away from God, but God's heart's desire is to be with us in trouble. Let's trust him when we see those things coming. So again, this past week, was there some trouble that came up and you lost your focus on God? Was it at, at work when difficult things came up? Was it at school when you just forgot about him because you were thinking too much about your friends or your assignments or your sports or whatever it is? Or was it just plain when something didn't go your way this week? Is there anything coming up on your radar this next week where you see yourself going into a similar situation? I want, I want us to train ourselves to recognize those times when we take our eyes off of God and onto ourselves or onto our troubles. And instead of doing that, let's go right back to God and trust that he's with us and will strengthen us. Let's move on to the conclusion here. Most of this psalm talks about harm, but none of it reaches the one who loves God. Why? Because of God's protection and because of his presence with us. If he is with us, then no harm will befall us. Now, I've kind of been saving this for the end. I've alluded to it a few times, but I think that this takes for us a new perspective on the words harm and trouble. Okay, those are two words that come up in here, harm and trouble. Trouble could be translated as distress. And those are things that will come to us. Jesus promised that we will have trouble. Even in Psalm 91, verse 15, God says, I will be with him in trouble. That means that there will be trouble. So you know what? We should not expect that our lives will be free of trouble. That will happen for us in glory, praise the Lord. But for now, we should expect that there will be trouble, but also that God will be with us. But then let's think about the word harm. The word harm could also be translated as evil. And if God is with us in our trouble, then no evil can come to us. God will protect us from that. God will keep us safe from evil. Yes, it may cost us our life. It cost Jesus his life. But even then, would we say that the cross was evil? No. Think about it for us. It's glory. And even Jesus, like I said, knew that there was joy on the other side of it. That's the difference. If we are with God, yes, there may very well be trouble, but he will be with us. And if we are with God, then no evil will befall us. What can man do? What could Satan do? Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are more than conquerors. So I love this. The blessing of God with us is so much of a blessing that it's a blessing even in those difficult, troublesome times. We are a truly blessed people because God is with us in our trouble. And for our part, we should keep seeking him. Perhaps one of my favorite, probably my favorite Old Testament God with us verse has been this one in 2 Chronicles 15.2. The Lord is with you when you are with him. So on our part, we should keep seeking God. That's what God asks us to do. Jesus promises us, seek and you will find God is a refuge and a fortress. He is our strength. We should be people who keep looking to him. And yes, the troubled times will come, and the reason those are so, so much of a test is because there's the temptation for us in them to take our eyes off of God. But what did Jesus do in his temptation? He quoted scripture to help him remind himself that God was with him. 
That's what I want us to do. I want us to be a people who keep seeking God so much as the pattern of our lives so that when those difficult times we're reminded not to take our eyes off of God. And if we live our lives like that, then we are living a life of thanksgiving to God. Again, even though the word thanks doesn't appear in this psalm, we can live our lives as a life of thanksgiving to him if we remember his presence with us and if we trust in him. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you love us so much that you want to be with us in trouble. And God, if you are with us, who can be against us? Thank you, God. May we remember your presence with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.